From the in-town Jewish Academy in Atlanta, Georgia, I am Rabbi Ari Solish, and this is Knowledge on the Deeper Side. In this podcast, we discuss the most inspiring and stimulating Jewish ideas, ideas that challenge the way you think and feel. To sponsor a class or episode, please visit intownjewishacademy.org slash sponsor. And now, on to the episode. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Daily Power Parsha. Today is Thursday, July 7th, 2022, and we are going to study some Torah together. That's what we do. Hi, Sandrine. Great to see you. We're going to study some Torah together today um, in honor of the Parsha of Chukas or Chukat. All right, so let's get ready to rumble. I'm going to pull this up on my end and then share my screen with you. Then we are ready to go. So we've talked about a lot this week. We covered the uh, the mitzvah of Paraduma, the red heifer, which is Chukat HaTorah, the ultimate super rational mitzvah of the Torah. We spoke about um, Miriam's passing and how... Upon her passing, the well of Miriam, like we spoke about last night at the Torah says, class, the well of Miriam dried up and it came back when Moses hit the rock, but he wasn't supposed to hit the rock, so he got punished for hitting the rock, etc. And uh, and then we read, and of course the fallout is that Moses was not going go was not going to go into the land of Israel. He would not lead them in. And that's kind of where we ended off yesterday. So we're up to reading number four. The goal today will be to cover readings four and five, and then tomorrow, six and seven. So that's kind of the goal that we're at right now. And the narrative switches to kind of a bit of a new, a new topic. I mean, it's all, it's all part of the same narrative. The narrative is, of course, the end, as I mentioned yesterday, the, it's the end of the 40 years. They've been journeying for 40 years. The entire original generation pretty much has died out, except for a few individuals. And, uh, and now the movement is to approach the land of Israel and ultimately to go into Israel. So let, let me share my screen with you. Let's begin reading number four. Numbers chapter 20, verse 14. And again, we have a bit of a new, a new topic. Moses sent messengers from Kadesh. By the way, Kadesh, Barnea, is where... A lot of the uh, drama of the last uh, few stories has happened. So Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom. Edom was one of the nations that was in between where they were and the promised land, the land of Israel. And what they wanted to do was they wanted to cut through the land of Edom on the way to the land of Israel. So they sent messengers. Moses himself sent messengers to the king of Edom. So says your brother Israel. Your brother Israel. Okay, by the way, Edom, Edom is the descendants of Esau or Esau. And of course, Israel is Jacob. So the children of Israel and the nation of Edom are cousins coming from twin brothers. Hence the term, so says your brother Israel. You know of all the hardship that has befallen us. It goes into a bit of a dramatic story. Ay, it's been so difficult. Our fathers went down to Egypt. 
And we sojourned in Egypt for a long time, and the Egyptians mistreated us and our forefathers. We cried. We got a mini, uh, a mini review of this, of the Exodus, of, of Egypt and the Exodus. We cried out to the Lord, and he heard our voice. He sent an angel, an angel, Moses, and he took us out of Egypt, and now we are in Kadesh, a city at the edge of your border. This is all the message to be relayed to the king of Edom. And here's the request. It's not just a, a history lesson or just an update, a family update, um, you know, Facebook post. This is a request. Please let us pass through your land. They, again, they wanted to cut through the land or travel through that land of Edom on the way to Israel. Please let us pass through your land. We will not pass through fields or vineyards. In other words, we're not going to destroy any crops or eat of your food as we walk by. We're not going to mess up anything. Nor will we drink well water. We're not going to take the water from the well and just feed all of our people, uh, um, give water to all of our people. Nope. We will walk rather along the king's road. It's like the highway, as it were, back then. And we will turn neither to the right nor to the left until we have passed through your territory. We are not going to cause any harm. We're not going to go and conquer any land. We're not going to damage any fields, any property. We're not going to steal any food or water. We're just going to go on the highway, on the main road, until we pass through your territory on the way to Israel. Seems like a reasonable request. Again, if you look at, if you look at the arc of the ask, so number one, your brother, we're family. And then it gets into the sob story. Oh, yeah, it's been so hard. It's been so difficult. We've gone through so much. And now we're at the border of the land, of your land. Let us please pass through. And of course, on a technical level, we're not going to cause any harm, only benefit, and you have nothing to worry about. What's the reply? As you see in verse 18, Adam replied to him, to Moses, you shall not pass through me. No, 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 no. You're not going through. Lest I go out towards you with a sword, in other words, maybe, less means maybe, for perhaps I will go towards you with the sword. That's a threat. I would say it's a veiled threat, but it's not really a veiled threat. It's a clear threat. You're not, I do not permit you to go through my land. If you do, I will come out to you with a sword. In other words, in other words, I'm going to defend my land with my army. The children of Israel said to him, they push back. We will, let, to clarify, we will keep to the highway. And if we drink your water, either I or my cattle, we will pay its price. It's really nothing. Look at that. Again, the, the Jewish people reiterate to the king of Edom that they're not going to cause any damage. On the contrary, they might fuel the economy, tourism, right? They're going to buy t-shirts, say, hey, made in Edom or whatever it is, or like, all, I went to Edom and all I got was this t-shirt, whatever it is. So, And we're going to buy bottled water, you know, from the Edomite Springs. Either way, it's not going to cause any harm. It's really nothing. I love that line. It's really nothing. No big deal. I will pass through on foot. But he said, Edom said, you shall not pass through. That's the second time. And Edom came out toward them with a vast force and with a strong hand. So, before he said, I don't let you go through, and if you do, we're going to meet you with our army. Now, when the, when the Jewish people push back and ask a second time, come on, come on, come on, it's no big deal. 
At this time, this second time he says no again, and he comes out actually with a show of force with an army. Edom, verse 21, Edom refused to allow Israel to cross through his territory. So Israel turned away from him. No is no. And the Jewish people went around Edom. If I had a map in front of me, I would show you. Israel is here, right? Israel is kind of like, you know, the shape-ish. The Jewish people were down here at the south. Edom would have been a quick and easy route. No, they had to go all the way around. They had to go all the way around. They had to circumvent Edom and other lands as well, which we'll read about soon um, or in the next little bit. So they had to circumvent the land. Edom did not let them pass through. Let's look back. I mean, it's a fairly straightforward narrative. Um, I have an insight or two that I want to share, but let's, let's do Rashi. Um, your brother Israel... Rashi asks, why did he see fit to mention brotherhood here? Why brotherhood? So I gave you an answer. To me, the simple answer is because we're family. We're mishpacha. Let me go through. However, he said to him a little bit deeper. We are brothers, sons of Abraham, to whom it was said, your descendants will be strangers in a land which is not theirs. And both of us are responsible for, fulfill, for fulfilling that obligation. In other words, you are also responsible to help us, because we're family, help us get to the promised land. You know of all the hardship, therefore your father parted from our father. As it says, he went to a land because of Jacob's brother. That is because of the debt that was imposed upon them, and Esau cast it onto Jacob. In other words, listen to this. Listen to this. It was destined that Abraham's descendants live a difficult life, be strangers in a strange land, have an exile. That was Egypt. What? So they're saying, they're laying the guilt on, on Edom and saying, your father, Esau, parted from our father. He ran away from him. Why? Because of the debt that was imposed upon them. Esau cast it out to Jacob. Esau said to Jacob, you wanted the birthright? You wanted the legacy? then take also the tsaras, take also the exile, take the negative that comes along, that's going to come along with it. So essentially the Jewish people, Moses sends a message to Adam saying, we're back, it's been a few hundred years, we got hit, we got, we got smashed, you know, we got oppressed and exiled, we were exiled in Egypt. That was, the, that was the prophecy, that was the promise that God said to Abraham about his descendants. We took the heat, you didn't get that. You were safe and secure in Edom. We were the ones that were exiled. Again, laying the guilt. Could have been you. Maybe it should have been you. You kind of distance yourself from us. The least you can do is let us go through your land. We got all the, we got all the suffering. The least you can do. For the family, we took it for the whole family. The least you can do as cousins is let us go through. All right. I hope that makes sense. It's a little bit deeper than what I mentioned. I just mentioned the family connection. Here it's a little bit deeper. We took the burden of the family. Our, hat, our side of the family took all the heat. So now, now it's time for, uh, for some, at least a little bit of consideration. Back inside. Um, Egyptians mistreated us. We endured many hardships, to say the least. And our forefathers, from here we learned that when Israel is afflicted with punishment, the patriarchs grieve in the grave. That's a powerful, powerful idea. 
When the Jewish people are afflicted with punishment, the patriarchs grieve in the grave. A parent never abandons a child or a grandchild or a great-grandchild. If the children are in pain, the loved ones in the grave are also pained. The patriarchs grieve in the grave. Let's continue. God heard our voice through the blessing that our father Isaac gave. The voice is the voice of Jacob. When we cry out, we are answered. So we cried out and we were answered. An angel, God sent an angel to save us. Who was that? As I mentioned that when we read it, this refers to Moses. From here we derive that prophets are called angels. And it says they mocked the angels. Oh, as it says, it should be asked. Another verse that it said they mocked the angels of God. And that's referring to mocking the prophets of God. So angels and prophets are sometimes in scripture called angels. It's a very interesting tidbit to, 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 to know. Um, they ask of Edom, please let us pass through your land. You have no right to contest the inheritance of the land of Israel since you did not pay the debt. Ooh, even deeper, tripling down on that whole, we took the heat for the side of the family. Look, God told Abraham the following. It's very, it's very important to understand what Rashi is saying because he's being consistent through this section. It's very important to understand what God told Abraham 440 years, I don't know, 450 years or so before this moment when Moses sends a message to, to the king of Edom. There was, God and Abraham make a covenant. We, we've, we read this inside at the time, you know, a few months ago, whatever. We, we went through all this. God and Abraham made a covenant. They made a pact. The Brit Ben Habasarim. Whatever. The covenant of the parts. They took an animal, they split it in half. Um, what was the covenant? It was a deal. God said to Abraham, Abraham said, I'm dead. me and my descendants are dedicated to you. God said the same with me. I will give your descendants the land, but before that, they're going to be enslaved in a foreign country, in a foreign land. So basically, the deal was, it was a deal hundreds of years, centuries prior the deal was exile, promised land. So Moses tells the king of Edom, we were the ones in exile. We get the promised land. That's the way it is. We have skin in the game. We suffered. Now we get the promised land. You guys didn't suffer. You guys, your ancestors, Esau, whatever, kind of distanced himself from this whole situation. He said, I don't want this legacy. I don't want this. I don't want the suffering. I don't want... Just leave me out of it. He sold his birthright. Right? He distanced himself from Jacob, ultimately. He didn't want it. So if you don't want it, you don't get it. If you don't want, if you don't want, I don't want to say do the time, whatever. If you don't want to do, if you don't want the exile, you're not going to get Israel. The two are interrelated. God says to Abraham, your children will go into exile in a foreign land, and then it's going to be great. If you don't go down, you're not going to go up. You stayed steady, you're going to have steady. Again, look at Rashi. I'm going to reread Rashi just to understand the clarity, the brilliance of this Rashi. Moses, on behalf of the Jewish people, tells the king of Edom, you have no right to contest the inheritance of the land of Israel, our inheritance. Since you did not pay the debt, you weren't enslaved. You don't get the, you don't get the land. So help us a little and let us pass through your land. Nor will we drink well water. 
He should have said water from cisterns. However, Moses said, though we have manna to eat and a well from which to drink, we have our own well, we will not drink from it. But we will buy food and drink from you for your benefit. When Moses says, nor will we drink well water, he meant their own well water, the Jewish well water, the the Be'er Shal Miriam, the well, the the water that we read about, uh, you know, Moses hitting the rock and turning into a, a flow of water. That's what Moses is saying. We're not going to use our own water supply and food supply. We're going to buy from you guys. We're going to pump a lot of money into the into the country. From here, we learn that even if a guest has his own provisions, he should buy from the shopkeeper or householder to benefit his host. Let me explain. Let me explain. Back in the day, um, it was very common that individuals or families would own, uh, for lack of a better term, um, bed and breakfasts, like inns and taverns, not tavern, like an inn. And there was also food there. Many Jews were involved in this business historically, in, in Jewish lands and whatever, even not Jewish lands. Um, and so we have good advice, halakhic advice. And that is, Best practice, when you're traveling, even if you have your own provisions, your own food, support the local economy. Get breakfast from your local place, obviously kosher, whatever, but you know, support the, support the economy. So Moses tells Edom, tells the king of Edom, we're going we're gonna to pump money into your, into your nation. We're going to buy food, buy water, the whole deal. Back inside. We will walk along the king's road. We will muzzle our animals. So that they should not turn to either side to eat. You know, like on the side of the road, there's farms and fields. Don't worry. We're going straight down the road. Adam says, nope, lest I go out towards you with the sword. Rashi explained the, the depths of the message. The depth of the message. Adam says to the Jewish people, to Moses, you pride yourselves with the voice your father bequeathed you. You're all about prayer. And study and spirituality. You declare we cried out to the Lord and he heard our voice. I said that a few verses ago. That's you. But we? We're Edom. We will go out against you with what my father bequeathed me. You shall live by the sword. My great-great-grandfather, whatever, was Esau. And Esau was a hunter. And he lived with his weapon. He lived by the sword. He lived with his weapons or by his weapons. And thus, Adam says, you guys can pray from today to tomorrow, but we're feeling a little threatened and we're going to come out with swords. Straight up. The Jewish people push back. There's nothing to harm you. It's nothing. It's really nothing. And they said, no, they came out with a strong hand. They say, again, it's, it's a callback to Esau with our grandfather's promise. The hands are the hands of Esau. In other words, they came out with a show of aggression and physical strength. And I, I just want to clarify I want to clarify what is really the drama behind the scenes here. The drama behind the scenes is Rashi is trying to tell us a little bit about the difference um, between the Jewish people and the other nations of the world, or specifically the nation that descends from Esau. They were twins. Jacob and Esau were twins, but they were opposites. Jacob was simple. That's not in a negative way. He was sincere. And wholesome, that's probably a good word, wholesome. A very wholesome guy. He studied, 
He was a good boy. He was a, he was a, nice, a nice young man. He was a good person. Esau was a hunter. He, was, he liked weapons. He was a hunter. But it's more than hunter. As we know the commentaries say he hunted animals, but also people. He murdered people. He hunted women who were married. He was an adulterer. There was a lot of stuff going on in Esau's world. But Esau looked to solve things using force. And Jacob tries to solve things using his voice. Hakol kol Yaakov. Isaac says when he can no longer see and he, he calls in uh, and, and he asks for his son to bring him food and Jacob brings him food first. So he hears Jacob say, here I am, but he touches him and his arms are furry. So he says that Isaac, their father, says the famous words, Hakol kol Yaakov. The voice is the voice of Jacob. But the hands are the hands of Esau. That becomes the distinctive point, that, or the point of distinction between the two personas. Jacob uses the voice. Prayer, Torah study, Jacob uses the voice. And Esau uses his hands. So what happens is, essentially, Jacob says to Esau, look, we were slaves and we prayed to God and God saved us. He sent us an angel, all spiritual stuff. And, and Adam says, very nice, very happy for you. But if you step foot in our land, we're going to come out with our army and swords and kill you. God forbid. We're going to come out with full force. And they did. Why? Because they're, they're from Esau. That's how Esau operates. Diplomacy, forget diplomacy. Show of force, show of aggression. That's the persona. That's what Rashi is drilling into us with these, uh, with these comments. Let's get back. I hope this makes sense. Let's get back inside. And uh, we're ready for reading number six. Oh, you know what? Before we do reading six, I, I want to share one insight. On the last verse of four, reading we just did, Adam refused to allow Israel to cross through his territory, so Israel turned away from him. And this itself teaches us a powerful lesson in life. Not every battle needs to be fought. Not every agenda needs to be pushed. Not every path needs to be forcibly taken. Sometimes the right thing to do is to say, That's me rolling and walking away. Sometimes you walk away. Sometimes you just walk away from the conflict and you say, you know what? It's not worth it. It's not worth it. I'll go around. I'll find another way. I'll go around. You don't want me to go through. You don't want to let me go through when I'm not going to take anything. I'm only going to fuel your economy. I come for peace. You want to fight? You want to kill me? You want to get into a battle? I'm not interested. No, thank you. I'm just going to go around. Have a nice day. We don't have to invite all the conflict into our lives. If somebody's looking for conflict, you and I can say, no, thank you. I'm not interested in fighting. I'm not interested in doing battle. I'm going to take my business elsewhere. That's it. And you go around Edom. Edom is there. It's convenient. It would have been convenient. I thought he, sh he should. He really should. What a terrible guy. Okay, you have a choice. You could either let that build up and fester 
and you be upset and then fight and not fight or, you know, either you fight and it's not good or you don't fight and you're upset about, about the whole situation. Or you can say, see you later. I'm out. I'm going around. You do you. I'm going to do me. You have a beautiful lesson. Not every battle needs to be fought. Not every conflict needs to be engaged in. Walk away. You got to know, obviously, when to walk away and when not to walk away. And sometimes you have to push and sometimes you have to fight. But you got to have, that's where the wisdom comes in. That's where the, the seichel, the wisdom, and hopefully the, the guidance, the help from Hashem to know which ones to take on and which ones to let go. But here we have permission. The Torah gives us permission to walk away. Certainly sometimes. You don't have to engage in every fight. The Jewish people could have said, we have to go to Israel. We have to go right now. God is directing us. We need to fight. It wasn't, no, they didn't have to. They just went around. Took a little longer, it's okay. All right, hope that makes sense. Very, very powerful lesson in life. A lot of conflict would be resolved if people just knew how to walk away. Reading number five. Now we get into the next drama. This Torah portion is filled with drama. They traveled from Kadesh, and the entire congregation of the children of Israel arrived at, arrived at Mount Har, which Har in Hebrew means mountain. Very strange. I mean, not very strange. In Hebrew, it's called Har. Har, Har, Har. Har, Har, Har. Sounds repetitive, right? Mount Har. Okay. The Lord said, and according to the commentaries, as we see in Rashi, it's because the mountain almost had a little mountain on top of the mountain. It's like a double mountain. But we'll, we'll get there. So that's where they were. They went Kadesh to Mount Har. Let's just call it what it calls it in English. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron at Mount Har, on the border of the land of Edom, because they were going around Edom, so they were you know, near the border. And he said the following, God said the following, Aaron shall be gathered to his people. Gathered to his people means he will pass away. Gathered to his people means you know, return to the earth. For he shall not come to the land which I have given to the children of Israel, because you defied my word at the waters of dispute, the Meimuribah, the ones that we read about a few days ago. Because you defied my word, therefore Aaron shall not go into the land. He will pass away here. Take Aaron. Hey, Mark. Good to see you. Take Aaron and Elazar, his son, and ascend Mount Har. It's very dramatic here. Strip Aaron of his garments and dress Elazar, his son, with them. Then Aaron shall be gathered into his people and die there. Again, gathered to his people is a euphemism for death. And then it says clearly, and he will die there. Moses did as the Lord commanded him. They, who was they? Moses, Aaron, his brother, and Elazar, his nephew, Aaron's son. They all, all three ascended Mount Har in the presence of the entire congregation. Everyone's standing at the bottom of the mountain. And those three went up. Moses then stripped Aaron of his garments that refers to the garments of the priesthood, and dressed Elazar his son in them. And Aaron died there on the top of the mountain. Then Moses and Elazar descended from the mountain. The whole congregation saw that Aaron had expired, passed away, and the entire house of Israel wept for Aaron for 30 days. Entire house of Israel means men and women. As Rashi will tell us, we'll see it soon, it's because Aaron was always making peace between people and between husbands and wives, men and women, etc. Aaron was the peacemaker. He was 
the one who loved everyone and made peace with everyone and made peace, helped pe- broker peace between individuals, shalom bayit, peace in the home. Everybody mourned the loss of Aaron, men and women. We don't find this anywhere else. Miriam, we don't read of any mourning. As I mentioned, they started fighting about the water immediately. Moses, only the men, only the men mourned for Moses. But Aaron, men and women, because he was so dedicated to peace. Which reminds me of a classic teaching, Jewish teaching, and that is there are different crowns, different crowns that you can wear, different accolades that a person can receive. You can have the crown of priesthood, Kesar Kuhuna, the crown of royalty, Kesar Malchus. You can have the crown of Torah study, Kesar Torah. But the greatest crown is the crown of a good name, a good reputation, a good person. If you're a good person, that's the greatest, it's your greatest legacy. Aaron, what? Right? Aaron was a Kohen, and Moses he was the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, and Moses was the leader, like a king, and everything. Moses taught Torah. They all had all these qualities. But you know which one? You know who the people missed the most? Aaron. Why? Because he was the one that cared for and loved everyone, and broke peace, and you know reconciled, created reconciliations. Everyone loved Aaron. You couldn't not love him. It's a powerful message when we think about legacy. Think about legacy. What do we want our legacies to be? How much money we made? Nah, that's not really the legacy. Legacy is the person that we were, or that we are, right? The kind of person. Keser Shemtov, the crown of a good name. All right, let's go back inside. Let's do Rashi's on the part of reading five, uh, five that we just read. Let's do this, Rashi. Okay, they travel from Kaddish, the entire congregation, Rashi says, all were perfect, ready to enter the land. There was not among them even one of those upon whom the decree had been pronounced, for all those destined to die in the desert are already perished, and these were of those about whom it is written, you are all alive this day. This was the new generation. Well, obviously there was a few that had to still pass away, Aaron and Moses, but otherwise everyone else was of the new generation uh, permitted to go into the land. Mount Har, 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 a mountain atop a mountain, I mentioned this a moment ago, appearing like a small apple atop a big apple. Interesting. So now he mentions of New York City. I'm kidding. The other big apple. So we have a big apple is the mountain, and then a small apple on the big apple, a mountain, look what looks like a mountain on top of another mountain. Obviously, it's not two mountains, but that's what the way it looked. Although the cloud went in front of them and leveled out mountains, oh, we spoke about this last night, three of them remained, three mountains remained. Mount Sinai for the giving of the Torah, Mount Nebo for the burial of Moses, and Mount Har for the burial of Aaron. Those were the three mountains that remained that were not flattened by the uh, leading cloud. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron on the border of the land of Edom, this teaches, that because they associated themselves in a close relation with the wicked Esau, a breach was made in their accomplishments and they lost this righteous man. Interesting. They lost this righteous man. Um, yeah. It's almost applying blame for Aaron's death to the fact that they called themselves brothers with, with Edom. It's interesting. I'm going to read the Rashi again. 
This teaches that because they associated themselves in a close relation with the wicked Esau, they said, we're your brothers. We're last, the last reading that we just read a few minutes ago. We're your brothers. Come on, hook us up. Let us pass through your land. But they associated themselves in close relationship with, with Esau. A breach was made in their accomplishments. In other words, that created some sort of, you know, uh, liability for the Jewish people. And they lost this righteous man, Aaron. Some of the prophets said to Yoshafat, when you joined up with Ahaziah, God has breached your accomplishments. And you hang out with the riffraff, the riffraff, whatever, hang out with negativity, with, with the person that's less than righteous, so then it might not be a great thing. Take Aaron. This We have this so many times, so many times, Rashi says. When the Torah says take, it doesn't mean grab their arm. Take means with words. Take Aaron with words of solace. Say to him, you are fortunate that you can see your crown given over to your son, something I do not merit. Wow, look at that. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. Moses, God says to Moses, I want you to tell Aaron that Aaron should feel a little less bad about what's about to happen, about his own passing, because look, he gets to see his own son wear his garments and assume his position you, Moses, yourself will not be able to see that because your child will not inherit you. Joshua will, who's not your relative. Tell Aaron how lucky he is that he has this, something that you yourself don't have. Let's continue. Um, strip Aaron of his garments. He dressed him in the garments of the Kuhuna Gedola, the high priest garments, and then stripped him of them to give them to his son in his presence. He told him, Moses said to him, to Aaron, enter the cave, and he entered. He saw a ready-made bed and a lighted candle. He told him, get up onto the bed, and he got up, stretch out your hands, and he stretched them out, close your mouth, and he closed it, shut your eyes, and he shut them. At that moment, Moses yearned for such a death, a peaceful death. That is why it was said to him, in the way Aaron, your brother, died, a death that you desire. God ultimately tells him, that you will pass Moses. In Deuteronomy, you will pass away like your brother. This tells us that he desired the death that was similar to his brother, a death called Misas Nashikin, the death of a kiss. The difference between death by kiss, divine kiss, and other forms of passing is that sometimes, as we all know, unfortunately, sometimes passing can be very traumatic for the individual who is passing away. It could be an illness, it can be pain, suffering, God forbid violence, right? There's so many ways, God forbid, right, to pass away. Le'elenu may never happen to, to us. Um, that would be very, very painful with a lot of suffering and a lot of trauma and tragedy all around. Aaron goes up with his son and his brother, takes off his gar- the garments of the high priesthood, puts them on his son, lies down, um, Stretch out, stretches out his hands, makes his hands straight, closes his mouth, shuts his eyes, and he passes away. Peaceful. Passed away peaceful. Passing away is never a good thing. But in this way of peace and serenity and spirituality, um, this is, this is a, a, a um, let's put it this way, this was a, this was a death that was envied by Moses himself. And that's why God told him, you will pass away like your brother. I'm giving you, I'm conceding or assenting to your wish to give you this type of death. Moses did this 
Although it was difficult for him, he did not hesitate. It was God's command that his brother pass away. Um, yeah. I was looking at the Rashi here and also the notes. And something. From, what is Tamkuna? It's Midrash. Midrash. Because it says that the people said, how is it possible that Aaron died? We didn't read that. Hold on one second, Mark. We didn't read that one yet. I wanted to read that one. So hold, hold on, hold on with it. No, no worries. You're good. I'm sorry. But that's a great Rashi. Let me re- I'll read it inside for everybody and then tell me what your notes okay. say. Okay. Okay. Sorry. It says the whole congregation saw that Aaron had expired. What does that mean? When they saw Moses and Elazar coming down the mountain and Aaron did not come down the mountain, they said, where's Aaron? Three people went up and two came down. Where's Aaron? Moses said to them, he died. They said, is it possible that the one who stood up against the angel and st- the angel of death and stopped the plague can be overpowered by the angel of death? Remember that in the story of Korach, the angel of death was, was, was uh, wreaking havoc and a plague and a death upon the people. And Aaron went with the Ketoros, with the incense, and literally stopped the angel of death. Is it possible that this man could be overwhelmed by that very same angel of death? How could he have died? Whereupon Moses asked for mercy, and the ministering angel showed him to them lying in the bed, deceased. They saw this vision, and they believed that he had passed away indeed. Very powerful Midrash. The people said, Aaron could not have died. It's impossible. This guy is too strong, too powerful, too amazing, too much of the, of, of you know, he's just Aaron. He we can't lose him. And so, uh, indeed, they were shown a vision of him lying on the bed, deceased. Mark, you wanted to add to that? Yeah, what you said, vision. Yeah, it says that, um, maybe this is what you're saying, that the entire assembly saw and plot implies seeing simultaneously. They all saw at the same time through a miraculous vision that Aaron had perished. Amazing. That explains this interpretation. How, what does it mean that they saw at the same time? They all saw the vision because they had not believed it, and then they saw it, and then they believed. Um, and, and who mourned for Aaron, or who wept for Aaron? The entire house of Israel, Rashi says what I said before, both the men and the women. For Aaron had pursued peace. He promoted love between disputing parties and between man and wife. In other words, Shalom Bayit. He was, he helped counsel couples and marriage, marriages, etc. Therefore, he was mourned deeply and grieved and, 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 and wept over by everyone, men and women, for 30 days. Moses, when Moses passed away at the end of the Torah, it says the men wept for him for 30 days. It was more about the scholarship and whatever it is. It was more of a men's, I guess, whatever. But like this, Aaron's passing, this story, um, not segmented. Everybody mourns his loss. Rabbi Aaron, yeah. is this where Shloshim comes from? It's probably one of the sources, yeah. I don't know if it's the original source, but it's probably. Um, trying to remember, is there a source for Shiva? Maybe when Sarah passes away, beginning of the Torah, uh, Abraham mourns her. Maybe it says seven days he wept for her. Maybe it says, I wish I had my Chumash. I was just moving stuff around this office. The Chumash upstairs. Anyway, we can look that up. 
I, I, there might be a source for the seven days and the 30 days here. Yeah, this is definitely a source for 30. Um, 30, they weren't related. So, right. Yeah. Right. Right. The people were mourning him. But I guess there's still a segment of time of, of some level of mourning that we see associated with the number 30 days. Um, I, would, I would bet that there's, that there's an association there. Now, Numbers chapter 21 continues the narrative, but again, a new piece. The Canaanite king of Arad, who lived in the south. Okay, that's a clue. It wasn't the Canaanite king of Arad. It was the Amalekites, Amalek, who were dressed up like the Canaanites. I mentioned this last night in the Torah studies class. Anyway, because we know Amalek lived in the south. So when it says lived in the south, we know who this was. It wasn't the Canaanites. Anyway, so this, this king, this nation heard that Israel had come by the root of the spies. Okay, we'll see what that means. And he waged war against Israel and took from them a captive. I have so much to say just on this verse, but let's continue with the narrative. Israel made a vow to the Lord. As one nation, they made a vow and they said, If you deliver this people into my hand, I shall consecrate their cities. We will dedicate their cities for a holy purpose. The Lord heard Israel's voice and delivered the Canaanite. He destroyed them and consecrated their cities. And he called the place Kharma. Okay, let's do Rashi's on these three verses. Okay. Let's let's do Rashi's, and then I have a lot, uh, you know, some more stuff to add. Uh, the Canaanite heard. He heard that Aaron had died, and that the clouds of glory had departed. We said this last night in the class. What that means is that the cloud of God's glory, not the protection cloud, but the cloud of glory, clouds of glory, had departed, and this nation felt Amalek, right, uh, felt that Israel was now susceptible without God's obvious love and demonstration of love, um, he thought they were susceptible. They were somehow now vulnerable. Uh, Who lived in the south, I mentioned this multiple times already, this refers to Amalek, as it says, the Amalekites dwell in the south land. That's the report of the spies. The spies told the people who lived in which part of Israel Amalek dwelt in the south. So that's clearly a reference to Amalek. In this case, uh, they were the south. They changed their language to speak in the language of Canaan so that the Israelites would pray to the Holy One, blessed be he, to deliver the Canaanites into their hands. And since they were not Canaanites, their prayers would have no effect. This was the old Trojan horse, but not at all the Trojan horse. This was an attempt to pretend to be Canaanites so that the Jews would pray to be saved from Canaanites and God would say, okay, you're safe from Canaanites, but aha, they weren't Canaanites, they were Amalekites. But... Israel saw that they were dressed like Amalekites, though they spoke in a Canaanite tongue. Whoops, they forgot to change their clothes. So they said, we will pray generally for success. Look at that. <laughs> Such a Jewish approach. Like, we don't, we're not sure. We're suspicious that these may not be Canaanites. They're, they're speaking like Canaanites. They're dressed like Amalekites. You know what it's kind of like? Right, Jacob, who sounds like Jacob, but who was dressed like Esau. Kind of like, there's something furtive going on here. Uh, something a little sneaky. So we're just going to do a general prayer for success in battle. As it says, if you deliver this people into my hand, the emphasis on this people, we're not sure who this people are. We have suspicion. We, we have our doubts, but whoever it is, please uh, deliver them into my hand. Um, there are other sources that say that the Amalekites also changed their dress. 
Anyway, that's in the Reggio edition of Rashi. Reggio would be like the Italian edition. Reggio, right? Reggio is an Italian region. Uh, the Yemenite manuscript, however, confirms with our reading. This is a note from the publisher. Um, very interesting, very interesting. So we have different, different um, versions of this Rashi in the story. Um, or the Midrash itself. Whether or not, how far did the Amalekites go to disguise themselves? Did they just speak a different language or did they also change their clothes? Rashi seems to say, according to this version, that uh, they only changed their language. The root of the spies, the southern root. Yeah, so they were in the south. So the southern nation of Amalek attacked. They took a captive. It was only a single maidservant. Now, by the way, this is a question that you know, I don't like doing this necessarily because I can't assume that everybody was at the class last night, but I know many of you were, and so I want to mention this. That, and this is a question that you might have thought of, that, you, that I might have addressed at some point. I don't think I addressed it overtly, but it's a question, and I think it's important to know that there, are not, there aren't any loose ends in Torah. In other words, there's no gotcha moments in Torah. It's like, aha, oh, we have an explanation, but there's a gap and aha, big aha moment. You know, we're busting the cover. Something doesn't make sense. It doesn't line up. If, it ever, if ever you come to a place in Torah study when something does not line up, you should know one thing. All you need to do is keep on studying. Learn more commentaries and it will make, it will, it will make sense. It will become clear. And again, I, I hesitate doing this because I'm mixing last night with today, but it is what it is. I'm doing it anyway. Last night we read that there were two sets of clouds. There were the clouds of protection and clouds of glory. The clouds of protection were protection. Clouds of glory were God loves you. When Aaron died, only the second layer of clouds departed, the clouds of glory. So why did Amalek attack? Because Amalek saw... First of all, the Jews were on his border. They were like in the south. They were like, like going by him. So it was easy. But then he saw that Aaron had passed away. And the clouds of glory departed. Now, although there were clouds of protection, clouds of glory indicates that maybe God is not with the Jewish people. Or maybe not with them as much as he was, you know, yesterday. Great. They're a little bit more susceptible. But how do you get to them if they're in the cloud? The Medrash explains. Again, there's, there should be no gaps in Torah. If there is, just keep on studying. I didn't say this last night, but it's very important to, understand, to know this. The Medrash tells us that what happened was there were individuals that were not worthy of the cloud's protection for whatever reason. For whatever reason, they were not worthy of the cloud's protection. Okay? No cloud for you? No cloud for you. Oh, oh. exactly. Exactly. <laughs> In the language of Tanchuma, the aforementioned Tanchuma, I'm reading a quote, I pulled it up on my end. Those who lack strength on account of transgression. Because these Jews had sinned, the cloud of glory had expelled them, leaving them vulnerable to Amalek's attack. In other words, there was a situation where some individuals were not always protected by the cloud. The cloud wasn't necessarily automatic you had to deserve the cloud no cloud for you today so you were out of the cloud right you were out of the cloud you got spit out of the cloud okay so there was one one woman who was vulnerable and amalek so again on two angles amalek was able to attack number one they saw the clouds of glory god's special hug no longer there and then on a literal on a practical level there was some 
literal vulnerability because someone was, at least one person was out of the cloud. Okay, so that's what happened. Um, I hope that makes sense. Let's go back inside. Let's jump back inside and read what happens next. So Israel made a vow, I shall consecrate their spoils to heaven. I'll dedicate it to God, destroy them by execution, consecrate them to heaven. Okay, fine, good. We're up to verse four. Oh, we're, we're, yeah, we're running a little bit short on time here. I'm going to make this quick. Let's go, let's go. We're going to pick up the pace. Maybe we won't do Rashi, but this is a fantastic piece of the narrative as well. They journeyed from Mount Har by way of the Red Sea to circle the land of Edom. Remember, they were going around Edom. Edom said, don't go through. They said, okay, we won't. We'll go around. And the people became disheartened because of the way. They felt like maybe they're being taken on another loop. Again, just listen to what I'm saying. They're going to be taken on another loop for another 40 years. Oh, great. We're now going to go around again in circles. Israel's right here. Nope, we're going around. Oh, we're never going to get there. They became disheartened. The people spoke against Moses, God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of, the, out of Egypt to die in this desert? For there is no bread and no water, and we are disgusted with this rotten bread. In other words, there's no real bread. There's no real water. All we have is manna and water from a rock, and we're, just, we're done. We're finished. Listen to what happens next. The Lord sent against the people the venomous snakes as a punishment, and they bit the people and many people of Israel died. The people came to Moses and said, this, yes, if you're wondering, the answer is yes. This has happened multiple times in the book of Numbers. The same, more or less story. Complaint, punishment, plague, whatever. This time it's snakes. Okay, many people died. The people came to Moses and they said, we have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he remove the snakes from us. Get rid of these snakes. So Moses prayed on behalf of the people. The Lord said to Moses, listen to this, make yourself a serpent and put it on a pole. By the way, make a serpent doesn't mean make a snake. Make a snake sculpture or design and put it on a pole and let whoever is bitten look at it and live. So Moses made a copper snake and put it on a pole and whenever a snake bit a man, he would gaze upon the copper snake and live. Yeah, the AMA, I've said this many times before, the American Medical Association has their, their logo is a pole with a snake wrapped around it. That This comes from this, this right here, these verses. The people sin, they complain, God sends the snakes. The people cry out to God, to Moses, save us, pray, pray, pray to God for us. God says, okay, here's, here's how the healing comes. Create a snake, copper, uh, create a snake, put it on a pole, and uh, have the people look at the snake. And they did, and they were, and Moses did out of copper, and they were healed. The core, qu- yeah, Sarah. Yeah, I thought the clouds of protection kept the snakes and scorpions out, but the clouds of protection are still in place right now, right? Yeah, yeah, this was cl- snakes inside the cloud. This was snakes inside, as punishment, God says, okay, boom, snakes. Now, either, one of two options, one of two options, either the floor is lava, sorry, either the floor is snakes, suddenly, like the cloud on the bottom that blocked the snakes, now that goes away, or the snakes went inside the cloud. One of those two options, but this was a, this was a I'm going to say special, I don't mean in a good way, in a negative way, this was a, a special punishment that was applied to Jewish people for this moment. Um, so again, I, I don't know, and what I said before still applies, 
All we would have to do is look through the Midrashim and, and get clarity on that. Either one of two things. Either the cloud on the bottom no longer functioned, either for everybody or for certain people, or the clouds somehow were sent in in that space. What's the healing? The snake on a, on a pole and Moses makes it out of copper. The Hebrew word for copper, I'm going to share my screen one more time. The Hebrew word for copper is nechoshet. Nechoshet. And the Hebrew word for snake is nachash. Nachash, nechoshet. Nachash, nechoshet. Snake, copper. So he used the material that sounds like snake. Right? It's like, uh, I don't know, Pictionary. Sounds like snake. Done. Copper. Copper sounds like snake. So he made a copper snake, put it on a pole, and that was it. Obviously, there's a lot of questions here. I'm going to go be very brief. I'm going to give you the 90-second dvar. Obviously, there's a lot of questions. Number one, what? What's going on here? You put a snake on a pole and that brings healing? Doesn't God bring healing? Why, why are we looking at snakes? And why is Moses doubling down on the copper? Ah, I know what material. God didn't specify. Wood, iron, gold, silver. I'm going to do copper because nachash and nechoshet, they sound the same. First three, they share the first three same letters. What is this? We're having fun with words here? Like, what does that mean even? Um, so the simple answer to all of these questions, not simple, sorry, one answer to all these questions, it's a beautiful answer, deep answer, is that what does it mean to be healed from the snake? It means, uh, sorry, how do you get healed from the snake bite? It's by looking at the snake. It's by recognizing that the snake is sent by Hashem as a lesson or as a consequence, a lesson, but that there's healing through the negativity itself. When you look at the negativity, you can find the healing itself. It's kind of like trauma. It's kind of like trauma. It's when we have the courage to look the trauma in the face and say, I will grow from this experience that it can become an experience of growth. As long as we're trying to pretend it didn't happen, as long as we're trying to push it away or ignore it or whatever it is, then it still has a hold over us. When we're able to look at the, at the negative in the face and recognize that this is part of my story. God put this in my story and therefore it must have a role for me. Not that it's good, but that this is something that, I, that, 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 can, that can help me grow somehow through it, despite it, whatever it is, that's how the healing comes. What I'm trying to do is now take the story of the snakes and apply it in a more broader personal way. All of us have had snakes in our past, snake bites. We've all been bitten by snakes. The question is, do we have the ability or can we muster the strength and the courage to look at that and see somehow the growth that came from that or, to, or not only see the growth, but, but to achieve growth through the trauma, post-traumatic stress disorder is PTSD, but there's also PTG, post-traumatic growth. The growth that comes from trauma, that comes from staring trauma straight on uh, in the eyes and saying, I am going to grow from you. A quick, uh, uh, and I think this, the, hopefully this will resonate. Um, another, another illustration of this approach is what our forefather Jacob did. Remember when Jacob wrestled with the angel all night and then the angel was fighting, was holding, and then he hits him in the leg and essentially, uh, dislo not essentially, dislocates his hip and causes him to walk with a limp, he injures him. And then the Torah said, so, what, so you would think, what, would he, what, what, would Jake, what should Jacob do? He should try to get away from there. 
Try to get away from that, from that, this, this insanity, this craziness. This guy now hit him and hurt him, should get out of there. What does Jacob do? He holds on to him. And the angel says, it's morning, I got to go. My shift, I got to go. And Jacob says, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. The angel's done with the battle and wants to leave. And Jacob's holding on to him, the guy that hurt him, because that's how we have to hold on to the, to the, to, to, to the things that have hurt us. We hold on to it and say, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. I'm not letting you go until I find some element of growth from this experience. To let it go and to ignore it and pretend it never happened and etc. Is to, is to not realize the opportunity in, in the pain. Again, we don't look for pain and pain is negative. But there is growth because there's growth, but there's potential for growth because there is a potential for growth in everything. I will not let you go until you bless me, Jacob says. Moses says, in our reading just now, look at the snake, and the snake itself will bring healing. Obviously, Hashem brings the healing, but find the healing, the lesson, the healing lessons from the snake itself. All right, I, I had to say this quick. I mean, this could be a much, this could be a full class just on this topic, but hopefully this resonated even a little bit, and maybe we'll pick it up tomorrow, or maybe we'll just do six and seven tomorrow. Surprise, you'll find out. All right, thanks for joining me today for DPP. Tomorrow we're back on uh, at noon, same bad time, same bad channel. Special tribute Shabbat. Pleasure. Pleasure, sorry. Special tribute Shabbat this week um, for the Solish family. Uh, thrown by Chabad in town. If you're around, we'd love to see you. And uh, I don't know what the right word is. Spend time together over Shabbos. Otherwise, uh, we'll catch you tomorrow. I mean, either way, we'll catch you tomorrow, hopefully, Friday at noon, as we conclude this really dramatic and rich Torah portion. All right. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you guys. Faye and Sindrine and Mark and Sarah and Ray. We'll see you all. Stay healthy. Stay good. We'll see you soon. Pleasure. Have a great day. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, you can find us online at IntownJewishAcademy.org and on YouTube at IntownJewishAcademy. New episodes of the podcast come out a few times a week. If you don't want to miss a single episode, then hit the subscribe button. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to leave a rating or review. It means a lot to me and it helps other people find the podcast. Thanks so much for listening and I hope you have a wonderful day.